listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. The beautiful thing about intimacy with God is it builds in and it really um, brings forth other qualities, characteristics, with intimacy with God, um, trust develops between us and God because there, there's a relationship, there's intimacy, there's, de- there's depth happening in the relationship. And as a result of that, trust comes um, in that. And, and we're not fighting over the stool because in that intimacy, we're building trust, we're trusting that, that God is making the best, the, the right, the honorable, the good decisions for us over our lives, the direction of our lives. And so with intimacy, it really kind of begins to build in other qualities. Um, faith, love, I mean, I mean, just in, in that intimate relationship with God, there's just other things that God begins to build and, and are just kind of a natural byproduct um, of that intimacy, and that's why I, I love that, um, you know, I love that message, because when we give control to God, um, and, and we're in that place of intimacy with him, we become more and more comfortable, more and more trusting uh, of, of him being in that place, in that position over our lives. Now, l- last Wednesday, I started a message, and it, it's a tough message to follow. Um, I, you know, the fact that you came back, um, Either you forgot we were going to talk more on this or you're just gluttons for punishment. But last Wednesday night, I started a message and uh, talking on Matthew's gospel, chapters 24 and 25. And we were focusing on the parable of the ten virgins, but we never even really got to the parable of the ten virgins because I felt like in order for us to get to that parable, there's some things that we had to understand on the front end of that parable that really is important information. It really kind of gives the context of why Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins. So let me just kind of give you a really quick recap of last week in case you weren't here or you were here and you kind of forgot. Um, Matthew 25, 1, which begins where Jesus kind of launches into telling the parable of the ten virgins. He starts off there in, in verse one of chapter 25 with the word then. And I said to you that word is a very, very important word that he begins with because what he's telling you, and I said last year, we, when they wrote the original Greek, Hebrew, they didn't break it down into chapter and verses. We've added that in. And so if you were to read this from an original Greek manuscript, there is no chapter 25 verse one. It just kind of, in the Greek, it's, it's just like it's the next sentence. And so as a reader, you would read that word then and say, okay, he's connecting what he's about to say with what he just said. And so we talked last week, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, it is one continuous thought. It's one continuous 
flow. It's not, you know, and I said last week, if, if you're ever reading, you one day you read chapter 24 of Matthew, the next day you read chapter 25, there just is this break that naturally comes, and you wouldn't connect the two thoughts. But really, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, it is one continuous thought. He is answering a question. Um, and so the reason this is so crucial is because it indicates what Jesus is about to say in chapter 25 has to be connected to what he said in chapter 24. So for us to really fully understand, to appreciate, apply what Jesus is telling us there in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, which is a parable of the ten virgins, we have to understand Matthew 24, because again, it is one continuous flowing thought. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a long answer, really, and again, if you break that you lose that flow and, and you disconnect that what he's saying in chapter 25 is really connected what he's saying there in chapter 24. So you cannot properly understand or interpret the parable of the ten virgins without understanding what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. You've got to take 24 and 25 together. Have I beat that dead horse enough? Yes. Okay. As we learned last week, as we were talking about Matthew chapter 24, the disciples put a question to Jesus in chapter 24, verse 3, and here was their question. What will signal, what will indicate to us your return? And again, the first coming, Jesus is born, God takes on human flesh, Christmas, the you know, incarnation, that that was the first coming of Jesus. They're saying, what is going to be an indicator, what's a signal of your coming again, of your second return? And the end of the age, or the end of this dispensation. So the disciples, they're asking Jesus a question. We want to know what signs are we to look for that would alert us or kind of indicate to us that you are about to come a second time. And, and so that's the question there in verse 3. And Jesus takes the rest of chapter 24 to tell them, here are the signs, here are the indicators. And so all of the signs that Jesus gives there in the remainder of chapter 24 are signs every one of us, unfortunately, are all too familiar with. Wars, I mean... Wars everywhere, always have been wars everywhere. Rumors, threats of wars, we hear that uh, today in the Middle East. Famine, earthquakes, you know, Nepal a couple of weeks ago. Uh, persecution of believers, hello, ISIS. I mean, what I, I just saw where they executed, what, another 300 um, Christians, um, I mean, persecution is happening in the Middle East. We must be interceding for the churches, for the believers in the Middle East. They are under heavy persecution. Many of them are dying because they will not renounce their faith in Christ. They will not embrace Islam, and they're paying for that with their lives. Many other natural disasters. And Jesus says one of the ways... 
that you would know that I am coming isn't just that these events are going to occur because again, all of these events have been occurring throughout all of our lifetimes and they're gonna continue to occur. They've occurred throughout every generation since the fall of Adam and Eve. The indicator Jesus said that you need to be watching, you need to be alert for is going to be when these signs become like the birth pains of a child. Matthew 24, 6. And he says, and you will hear of wars and threats of war, but don't panic. Don't panic. Okay, saw what happened in, you know, September 11th. You know, country panicked. Jesus said, don't panic. That'll be my message, you know, whenever we go through something like this again, don't panic. I may, I may even just resurrect this message again. Yes, he said, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's already happening. That's nothing new. There will be famines and earthquakes in parts of the world. Again, that's nothing new, so don't panic. He says, but all of this, is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. And I said to you last week, that sentence is the key. One of the things we understand, moms, you know this better than anybody, okay? One of the things we understand about childbirth is the closer you get to pushing that baby out, the closer the pains become and the more they intensify. Been through this with my wife. I understand this. We Husbands, we've watched this. We know what Jesus is saying here is true, okay? The closer these things the, the Jesus' time that he's going to kind of come, as he said, one of the things you watch for isn't that all these things are happening. They've always been happening. Jesus says what you got to pay attention to is when they start happening closer together and they're intensifying in terms of the uh, intensity. So as Jesus' second coming draws nearer, there will come, and we talked about this last week, there is going to come a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is going to be a revival upon the earth that we have never witnessed in the history of mankind, okay? And, and what's gonna happen is you're gonna see waves of the, the supernatural. They are going to occur Closer and closer and closer together, they'll almost seem simultaneous and they will increase in intensity as that timeline of Jesus' return draws nearer and nearer, okay? At the same time that you have this incredible manifestation of the supernatural, there is also going to be at the same time simultaneously happening you are also going to have times of just horrendous, horrific evil, okay? And 
Those signs, those events of of horrific evil, they are going to be happening just very, very close together uh, as the time draws near. They're just going to get closer and closer. They're going to intensify in in, in pain and intensity and evil and horrendousness. Uh, Again, just like it is when you give birth to a child. And so when people ask, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse when it gets closer to Jesus returning. And again, we said last week, the answer is yes. Both are right. It's going to get much lighter. It's also going to get much darker. The light will become lighter. The darkness will become darker. So there will be a great revival. Okay? There will also come this great falling away. And they're going to happen simultaneously. And it's just going to be all around the world. We have the means now to see and to know what's happening around the world almost in real time. So you may be sitting at your computer or your television and you're going to watch all of this unfold. So Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, as he's he's answering this question that was put to him in verse 3, what are the signs? What are the indicators? What are we going to be looking for that's going to be telling us that your second coming is getting closer and closer? And Jesus is describing to them events earthquakes, famines, wars, rumors of war. And he said, not that they're just going to be occurring, but they are going to be occurring in in greater intensity, in closer um, time, uh, if not simultaneously across the whole earth. So again, we've always had wars, but when wars between nations become more and more intense, involve more nations occurring closer together. It is a sign that the second coming of Jesus is getting closer and closer and closer. We've had famines throughout the history of the world, but we, uh, when we have many, many famines happening on a large scale all around the world, almost simultaneously affecting more nations, affecting more people than any other time in the history of mankind. All of that happening at the same time, intensifying um, as it's occurring. Again, it is a sign. It's an indicator. It's a warning. It's alerting us. Jesus' return is drawing closer and closer. In Luke 21, same account as Matthew 24, Luke 21, 11 says this about that time. There will be great earthquakes. There will be famines and plagues in many lands. There will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs. That's the supernatural. That's that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he said all of that is going to be happening as signs indicators from heaven. God's communicating, God's telling us something through that. And what we will witness in those times is we will witness, again, the power of heaven shaking the kingdom of earth. And that shaking, we talked about this last week, when that begins to happen, the Bible says that there is going to come such fear upon mankind that its Bible says their hearts will literally fail them. That's a heart attack. That's why Jesus says, when you see this stuff happening, don't panic. That's going to be the natural, fleshly, human reaction, fear, panic, hysteria. 
Have you watched any of the stuff going on in Baltimore? I mean, imagine that kind of thing happening in every city across America. That's fear. That's panic. That's pandemonium. And, and, and this is, we're going to see this. And this is why we believers are so important to the world. When that happens, we're, we need to lead. We need to be setting the example. We need to be the ones who are out there sharing the gospel, sharing about the peace of Christ, the joy. None of that's going to di dissipate. None of that's going to go away. It will be there in greater measure. But we are going to have to be the ones that are going to be the, 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 the voice of reasoning um, in that generation. With the backdrop of Matthew chapter 24. So again, this week, I just would encourage you, get in that and, and, and look at that. Then once Jesus kind of gets done with that explanation, then he says, once you understand what all is happening in Matthew chapter 24, it now prepares you for what I'm about to tell you about 10 virgins. And that's why he says, then. Then, in that moment, the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So Jesus is saying when all of these things begin to occur there in chapter 24, okay, with greater intensity, closer together, like pains in childbirth, then he says, then, not now. You can't look at the kingdom of heaven now and say, oh, it's like these 10 virgins that, you know, took their lamps and went out to meet. The kingdom of heaven is not like that right now because the things Jesus said that need to happen in chapter 24 have not happened yet. So a lot of times people want to interpret this as this is the way the kingdom of heaven is now. No, that's not what Jesus said. He says, then when all of these things in 24 have occurred, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened or comparable to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay, he said it's not fully like that right now, but once all these things begin to occur in Matthew chapter 24, then in that moment, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. So that's why, again, you've got to take 24, 25 together because the kingdom of God isn't operating or functioning like that right now. Does that make sense? It's, it's coming Okay, I got a few nods. I'm, I'll go with that. Now Jesus says, once all of these signs begin to occur with greater and greater intensity, closer and closer together, like childbirth pains, he said, here's what the kingdom's gonna be like, and then he launches in to this parable about the 10 virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridemaids who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. 
At midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some oil for your lamps, our lamps, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Now, I kind of alluded to this last week. Let me just spell this out. Again, you've got 10 virgins, a bridegroom, lamps, and oil. Now, the virgins in the parable, all 10 of them, represent born-again, saved believers. Okay? Set aside anything else that, that you've heard. Some of you might have heard teaching on this, that, you know, five were not born again, five were born. I believe that, again, the kingdom of heaven is going to be comparable like this. Ten virgins in here all represent born-again Christians. Okay? Five are portrayed as foolish, but again, they are still born again. Now, Paul references this terminology. Uh, he uses this kind of terminology regarding virgins. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and there in verses 2 through 3, he says, uh, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That last part of that verse there is the key to understanding what Jesus is talking about here. Because Paul's reference to the bridegroom, Jesus talks about he's referring to this in the parable so it's important to understand the 10 virgins are here all again are born again believers albeit five are wise five are foolish we've got that even now in the kingdom uh, in, in Christendom. You've got some Christians, born-again believers, who are very wise. You've got some that are very foolish, okay? The lamps in this parable, I believe, represent the ministries, the public ministries, which are to reveal and to manifest God's presence and God's power to others, now, if you were here on Sunday, I kind of referred to this. Again, every person, I believe whether you're born again or not, some people believe you don't get your spiritual gifts till you're born again. I, you know, I'm not going to split hairs on that. That's fine if you believe that. I just believe that you're born with those giftings, um, whether, you're, whether you get born again or not, uh, but every person, and especially as a believer, 
Okay, you are given and you are equipped with spiritual gifts that again, like I said on Sunday, those are to be used to serve others and to glorify God. Now, every ministry, no matter how visible or the impact, every ministry that you do in using those gifts that God has given to you is equally important to God. God doesn't look at some of us in the ways we serve as more important than those of you that maybe feel you have lesser or maybe you're kind of a behind-the-scenes kind of person. God looks at your ministries. He looks at how you're using your gifts, how you're serving others, glorifying him through that. God sees that equally. One is not greater or or, or of higher value to God. Okay, Every individual, every gift, Every ministry, no matter how great or small, contributes to the overall effectiveness of the church. It contributes, uh, it, it impacts the kingdom of God upon the earth. So regardless of what your ministry is, how you're using the gifts that God has, has given to you, it is of great importance to God and to the church body that we are obedient and faithful in the ministries, in the giftings that God has given to us. So if, if you're handing out bulletins, if you're greeting, if you're ushering, if you're playing on the worship team, if you're teaching our children, watching our babies in the nursery, serving in the praise cafe, intercessory prayer, uh, whether you're preaching the message, I mean, can you believe that? God values that. Every role is vital and important and is a lamp that God uses to reveal and to make himself known to others. The oil, okay, so that's what the lamp represents. It represents your ministry. It represents the place you're serving where you're using your gifts. The oil represents the Holy Spirit, in the life of that born-again believer. Again, the difference between the wise virgins, the foolish virgins, was the amount of oil they had. Okay? That's what Jesus says in here. Five had plenty, five had little. Okay? The difference between the wise virgins, foolish virgins, was the amount of oil, the amount of Holy Spirit they had. In other words, the wise virgins had plenty of oil. They were abundantly filled with and intimately, deeply, passionately connected to the bridegroom who is Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they were deeply passionately, abundantly, intimately connected, plugged into, abiding in the bridegroom, which is Christ. And out of that oil in them, out of that deep, intimate, abiding connection, they were flowing in ministry. Their lamps were shining bright for Jesus. Their lives were were just a powerful witness of the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the oil in their lives. Are you with me? 
Good. So instead of their ministry, uh, the foolish virgins, again, they're lacking oil. They're lacking intimacy. They're lacking connection. They're lacking that deep abiding in the bridegroom. Okay? So instead of their ministry coming from the abundance of oil, again, that the abundance of the Holy Spirit, okay, they're operating out of their own strength. They're, they're operating out of the flesh, okay, which Jesus made very clear. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the foolish ones Lacking oil, lacking Holy Spirit, lacking intimacy, lacking connection. They're kind of just working out of their own strength, out of their own power, of their own sheer determination, the flesh. Let me put it another way. These wise virgins, and I alluded to this last week, they put their intimacy, their connection, uh, their, their abiding uh, in Christ, they put their relationship with the bridegroom ahead of and more important than their ministry. That's what made them wise. Okay? The foolish ones were the ones who put their ministry ahead before in place of their relationship with God. That's what made them foolish. Are, are, you, are you with me? So you see the order of the importance in the parable itself. Verse three, those who were foolish took their lamps, their public ministry. What, what God has given them to do. God's gifted them, he equipped them, he called them, and, and it just simply says, the foolish ones took their lamps, that ministry that God gave them, but they took no oil, no intimacy, no connection, no deep abiding in Christ with them, but the wise ones took oil, extra oil, an abundance of oil, an abundance of the Holy Spirit, deeply connected, deeply abiding in the bridegroom. That's what made them wise. Now we see this in other stories in the scriptures. We see this in the story of Mary and Martha. In Luke 10, Jesus comes to their home to visit and Mary just, what, sits at the feet of Jesus just listening, just basking in his presence while Martha is distracted, busy preparing the meal. Know the story, Martha gets frustrated with Mary. She goes to Jesus and says, would you tell Mary to get up and help me? Remember Jesus' response to Martha? He says, my dear Martha, you are worried, you're upset, you're anxious over all these details. He said, there's only one thing worth being concerned about, consumed with. Mary has discovered it. She found it, and it will not be taken from her. What did Mary do? She put her intimacy, that connection, that deep abiding in Christ 
ahead of her ministry, ahead of her serving. Whereas Martha put her serving, her responsibilities, her duties, her ministry ahead of connecting with the heart of Jesus, abiding in his presence. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Mary was seeking the kingdom in Jesus. She's seeking his heart, his righteousness. Martha is so consumed with her service that she takes no time to connect or to abide in the presence of Jesus. Martha's like those foolish virgins, too busy, serving, too busy, too consumed with her ministry that she didn't have any time to pursue intimacy, deep connection, abiding in a relationship with Jesus. Mary, like those wise virgins, understood the importance. She's not saying don't ever serve, don't you know, forget your ministry. She just didn't allow it to come before her relationship and again that intimacy that she's so prized, so sought after with Jesus. Again, look at your own life. Look at your own ministry. Are you more like Mary or Martha? When it comes to pursuing an intimate, a deep, an abiding connection with Christ, are you more like the wise virgin or are you more like the foolish? Again, all born again. This isn't an issue of salvation. It's a question of intimacy. The point Jesus is making here is that in order to get more oil, to get more intimacy, to abide more deeply, to connect more with the heart of God, we've got to put that ahead before our ministry, our areas of service. Again, ministry, serving are very important. I'm not trying to take away from that. I'm not trying to minimize the importance of that. I'm just trying to put it in its proper order. It's not more important, and it doesn't come ahead of that deep, abiding connection with Jesus. Now, verse five says that while the bridegroom was delayed, they all, both the wise and the foolish, slept. Then verse 6 says that at midnight they were all awoken by a cry, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. Now, the midnight hour, what this represents in the parable is the time just before. It isn't the second coming of Jesus. What it is alluding to is it is just before the coming of Jesus. Okay? Again, it's that announcement the time is very close at hand. Now is the time to wake up. Now is the time to be alert. Now is the time to be watching. Okay? This is when all of these signs in Matthew chapter 24 are going to be occurring. So as the best of times, the worst of times are happening, unfolding upon the earth, 
as the greatest revival, the greatest falling away occurs, those wise virgins, those born-again believers who know what the signs represent will join those crying out, saying, prepare yourself, get ready. The bridegroom, Jesus, is coming. So as all of these signs are being unleashed in greater and greater intensity, closer and closer together, there will be those in the body of Christ who will be like those wise virgins, those born-again believers. We are going to understand what is happening The rest of the world is going to be in panic mode. Men's hearts are going to be failing them for fear. There's going to be chaos and pandemonia upon the earth. The wise virgins in the body of Christ are going to begin to sound the alarm. Don't panic. These things, Jesus said they're going to happen. Hallelujah. He's getting ready to come. That's the message of the church, that will be the message of the wise virgins. Because again, they're connected, they're abiding, there's intimacy between them and the Father. There's no need to panic, there's no need to give in to fear. We knew this was gonna happen, he's prepared us, our hearts are, are, are secure, we've been prepared, now we can go forth in confidence and boldness and hope and we can encourage people to be at peace oh you don't know jesus well get to know him here's how you get to know him confess with your mouth that jesus is lord believe in your heart god raised him from the dead you'll be saved huh. and that that peace of god will come over them and that peace will guard their hearts and their minds they're not going to panic that's, that's the message. That's the mission. That's what the five wise virgins who are born again believers will represent. And they will take up the cry and they'll just begin to proclaim the announcement, hallelujah, glory to God. Jesus is getting ready to come. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now, all were awakened by the cry, the wise virgins who put intimacy with God, again, that deep connection with Jesus ahead of their ministry and serving. They had enough of the oil of intimacy to go and to be useful, to be effective for God. Whereas the wise virgins who had put their ministry, their serving ahead of intimacy with God, they lacked the needed oil of intimacy and they were found lacking. They were not useful. They were not effective for God's purpose in the unfolding of end times. Again, that's why Matthew 24 is so important in this parable. Because when these end times unfold in all their fullness, as wars, famines, earthquake, persecution, many other calamities, natural disasters are unfolding with greater and greater intensity, happening closer and closer together, just like in childbirth, there will again be so much chaos, so much confusion, pandemonium occurring. Only those who have put their intimacy with God ahead of their ministry, their serving, only those who are deeply connected, deeply abiding, uh, are intimately connected with Jesus, 
Only those people will be useful, will be helpful, will be effective for God in ushering in the second coming. That's why I believe that we will not be raptured out. We're going to be left here to be again those who carry forth the, that, that announcement while all of that is happening. We will have the, the, the joy of proclaiming, get ready. Jesus is about to come back. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now again, Matthew chapter 24 says it'll be a time of great revival, time of great falling away. Again, only the wise virgins who have put their intimacy with God ahead of their ministry will be used. They'll be the most useful. They'll be the most effective to God. They will be part of what God is doing in those final moments leading up to the second coming of Christ. The foolish virgins will want to be used. They'll want to be useful to God in those end times, but again, because they lack the necessary intimacy and connection with God, because they put their ministry, their serving ahead of their relationship with God, they will not be as useful or as effective as the wise ones. That's why in verses 7, 8, the foolish born-again believers ask the wise virgins for some of their oil. In other words, they're simply requesting, would you give us some of your intimacy with God? Would you give us some of your abiding in Christ with, so we can be used and be useful and effective for God in these end times? And Jesus says that in verse eight, they said, give us some of your oil, give us some of your intimacy for our lamps, our ministries are going out. They're fading away. I saw a glimpse of this on 9-11 when the attack occurred in New York City in Washington, D.C. That night, one of the local churches here in town uh, had a prayer service. And they invited the entire community, it was at Trinity Lutheran, to just come together for just a, a night of ministry, of, of prayer. And at that time, I was here serving as the associate pastor at the Methodist Church, and our, our church was invited, and we were a part of that service. And so that night, I mean, I remember the church being packed. There were people just standing all along the wall. If you've ever been to it's a huge church, you've got a balcony. I mean, it just could have, you know, felt like it just could have fit the whole city of Mason City in there. It's a huge church, just packed. Um, service began, and it was the driest, most boring, totally irrelevant, meaningless service I have ever been to. It was, it, it took all the self-control I had to stay seated and not get up and just start saying something of relevance, of substance. It was depressing. You, you could just feel the heaviness in that place. The, the hopelessness in that place just was abounding. Within a half hour, people just started getting, middle of the service, people are up there speaking. They're just getting up. They're walking out. And you could just, you could just see the hopelessness, the heaviness on them as they walked out of that church. 
They came there that night. They were wanting to hear a message of hope. Something that would inspire them. Something that would let them know, yes, a horrible thing has happened, but God has a plan. There was none of that. By the time the service ended, over half that church had left. When end times, what Jesus is saying, what I believe the parable is communicating here, when the end times are in full swing, there is going to be chaos, pandemonium, confusion occurring throughout the earth. There will be those churches, those pastors, those ministries, those Christians, like those foolish virgins who lack intimacy with God, who lack deep abiding in Christ. And they will neither be used nor will they be useful to God in those times. They will fail the people who look to them for inspiration, for direction, for hope. They will have nothing to offer. I've seen this. I was there that night. I witnessed on a smaller scale what will come in that time. They will have nothing to offer people because they have put their ministry, their service to God ahead of knowing him, of developing, of nurturing their intimacy with him. What they will do in that day is they will turn, they will begin to look to pastors, to churches, uh, to Christians um, that are being used and that are useful and effective in those end times. And what they're going to say to those churches, those pastors, those Christians, give me some of your oil. Give me some of your intimacy so we can be useful and used of God just as you are. Now, the response of the wise virgin, Jesus said in the parable, is going to be, we can't give you that intimacy. We can't give you that connection with God. We can't give you that deep abiding with Jesus. you got to go and get that yourself. Find a place and go and get that yourself. I can't take any intimacy I've developed with God and give that to you any more than you can take any intimacy you've developed and give that to me. That's the point Jesus is making here. I can't give you my salvation, can't give you my you know, justification, can't give you my sanctification, can't give you my righteousness. You gotta go to God and you gotta get that yourself. He's the only one who gives it apart from him, you can do nothing, you have nothing. So the foolish virgins, remember they're born again. They go out to pursue intimacy and deepen their relationship with God. They're trying to acquire the oil of intimacy with God. While they are doing that, it says the bridegroom comes and those who are ready, again, who have the depth of intimacy with him, they go into the wedding celebration and the door is shut. Now this is where a lot of confusion comes in in really properly interpreting uh, the text. The bridegroom coming in this parable, again, it is not the actual appearing of Jesus and the second coming, okay? What the cries were all about, again, it's alerting people, it's letting them know it is about to happen. We are close to the second 
physical coming of Jesus Christ. So again, there's going to be this great revival, tremendous, glorious, final outpouring of the Spirit. From that, there will come great miracles. And all of this is just going to flow out of a final move of the Spirit. So the bridegroom coming here is referring again. There, that's that mighty presence. That's that mighty outpouring that's going to happen just before Jesus comes. And it will result in many people getting saved, getting healed, delivered. They're, they're getting made ready. He, he is, he is um, getting his bride prepared. He's removing the spots. He's removing the wrinkles. That's what that last outpouring is going to be. He's getting the bride ready for the bridegroom. The wedding feast here referred to in the parable is a well-known ancient just, uh, Jewish custom and those listening to Jesus would have been very, very familiar with. It involves celebrating a wedding over the course of several nights. Now, ideally, when weddings happened in the Middle East, uh, back in Jesus' day, they really kind of occurred over a period of seven days. You know, because people had to travel, some people traveled a long distance. So they wouldn't just come for a, a, an afternoon, evening event and go back home. They came great lengths. Some of them would travel weeks to get there. And so a wedding back in Jesus' day in Jewish tradition, it oftentimes lasted seven nights. Imagine paying for that uh, bill. So each night of the wedding celebration in Jewish custom has different aspects, features highlighted each night. So the wedding celebration that Jesus refers to here in the parable is not the marriage supper of the lamb that's referred to in Revelation 19. That comes later. The wedding celebration, again, this is something that is occurring over a period of time. It is the powerful, mighty, glorious presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit coming in greater and greater waves with each manifestation accomplishing specific things with each wave, each move, each kind of night, if you will, that wedding celebration, move of the Spirit. And the wise virgins are those who are ready. They have the connection with Jesus. They, they're abiding deeply. They have that intimacy. They have been invited in to what the Spirit of God is doing right away. First night of that wedding celebration, because of their connection, their deep abiding, their intimacy, they are invited, they are brought in right away. God begins to use them. They are useful to God immediately. The foolish virgins are shut out until they develop, pursue the needed intimacy with God before they can be used and useful. That's why when the foolish virgins in verse 11 come and ask the Lord to let them in, he responds in verse 12 by saying, I don't know you. Notice he doesn't say, I never knew you. Like in Matthew 7, 23. Lord, Lord, did we not? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out? What did Jesus say? I never knew you. Depart from me. In this parable, Jesus simply says, I don't know you. That's different. In referring to those who have never made him Lord of their life, 
never invited Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. In Matthew 7, 23, Jesus says, I never knew you. In this parable, in Matthew 25, 12, Jesus says, I don't know you. There is a huge difference between not knowing someone or never knowing someone. There are people I went to high school with over 30 years ago. I know you're sitting there saying you do not look that old. Okay, many of these people I went to high school with over 30 years ago, I have not seen or talked to, okay? It would be one thing for me to say, I don't know them anymore. And that would be true. I haven't seen them, haven't talked to them in 30 years. I don't know them. But for me to say, I never knew them, would not be correct. I knew them 30 years ago, but due to the passage of time, no contact with them, I don't know them now, but it wouldn't be true to say, I never knew them. And so Jesus uses that statement there. And again, the the difference, I never knew you versus I don't know you. I lack intimacy. I lack connection. I know you're born again, but I don't know you. This is, again, Jesus is referring to a lack of intimacy, a lack of connection, a lack of abiding, not a lack of salvation. Does that make sense? The foolish virgins, again, they're born-again believers. They just lacked intimacy with God to be used and to be useful in those final glorious last moves of the Holy Spirit. Again, as the ancient Jewish celebration lasted several nights with each night highlighting something different, so Jesus is telling us that God is going to be releasing different moves. There are going to be different manifestations of the Spirit, and those are going to kind of build up. They're going to increase. They're going to culminate with the second coming of Jesus. Again, the wise ones are going to be the ones that are going to be used to proclaim We're not going to be in panic. We're not going to be in fear. We're going to see this for what it is. The bridegroom is getting ready. Come on. Today is the day of salvation. Qualifier all comes down to intimacy. Either you got it or you don't. Either you're developing it or you're not. If you have it, continue to pursue it. Ask God to continue to take you deeper. Ask Jesus, help me to abide more deeply, more solidly in you. So when that final, great, glorious move, the Spirit comes, you're not going to be like those foolish virgins. No oil, no intimacy, no connection. And again, the way to intimacy with God is, again, reading, meditating, obeying his word, worship, prayer, Fellowship with like-minded believers are just a few of the ways we can develop and deepen our intimacy with God. Amen? Yeah. yeah. This is a lot. I know it's, it, sometimes it's like drinking out of a fire hose. Um, but again, if you'll just take uh, what I'm saying here, go back and read the parable. I, I just believe God will open the eyes of your heart. God will give you understanding. He'll give you clarity um, in that. Um, because th- th- it may, it, this may happen in our generation, and, and we want to be ready for that. So, Father, we just thank you. 
Thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you for the parable that Jesus gives us. And Father, again, just as, as these are seeds that are planted in our hearts, God, we just ask for fertile soil. God, if there's hardness in there or places of hardness, God, we just ask, Lord, that by the power of the presence of your Holy Spirit within us, God, that you would just begin to break up that hard ground. God, make it, make it suitable Make it favorable for the seed of the word. And God, that that seed would again find fertile ground and that God, you would again just begin to cultivate, to nurture the seed of your word, that God, it would begin to grow, take root, and just begin to produce tremendous fruit in our lives for your kingdom, for your glory. God, that that fruit would serve others that, God, others would be able to partake of that fruit, God, and, and just be blessed, uh, benefit from that. So, Father, we just pray, Lord, that you, again, would just use uh, tonight, Father. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that, again, you'll give us greater understanding, greater clarity into what you're teaching here. And, Father, again, we just ask, Lord, to give us ears to hear, hearts to understand the power of your truth. And Father, we just thank you for your presence here tonight. God, I just pray, Lord, that, that each one of us, Lord, would just again be open. God, we, we would be willing, we would be eager, we would be hungry for deeper, greater intimacy, a, a, a deeper abiding with you. So Father, we just pray, Lord, just come have your way with us, Lord, that we would again just surrender uh, again, just uh, that, that dying to self that we might come alive unto you. And Father, we just ask all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being so attentive tonight. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.